we get to continue our sermon series. And you guys came back, so that means it wasn't too bad last week talking about you're all going to die and life is meaningless. That's Ecclesiastes, right? I mean, that's the book. That's the, the hope that we read this book is like, okay, we're all human. It, life isn't always what it's cracked up to be. But the truth is, it's an invitation to us to really think deeply. It's an invitation to ask some tough questions. It's an invitation to say, okay, when life's not going the way that we have planned, can we still trust God? And that's what we're going to learn about today. Whether we know it or not, I think all of us, we're engaged in a search, a quest for something that's going to meet the needs of our heart. What do I mean by that? We're looking for the secret to happiness. That's like the human existence. We want to be happy. We're looking for the secret to contentment. And that's honestly what King Solomon was looking for as well. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, he describes this search that he's on. Last week we talked about chapter 1, and life is a breath, it's a vapor. We talked about that word, everything is meaningless, or vanity of vanities, that in Hebrew it's everything is a breath, a vapor, a mist, it's like smoke, it's there one second and gone the next. That, that's the philosophy we see here in this book. Uh, we're all searching for meaning, but it's not in what the world thinks that it is. And so in chapter 1, he tries to come up with the meaning of life. And uh, is this really all there is or is there more? So he tries to think his way through it. He makes all these like rational arguments. It's uh, a lot of like philosophical stuff in here. And uh, and now though, as we get into chapter 2, we kind of switch gears. Instead of just thinking about it, he's going to enter into an experiment. He's going to try to find the meaning of life in just everyday life, in how he lives. And he kind of documents his search, his quest for us. And so uh, I love what uh, David Gibson says in Living Life Backwards. He says the preacher here, the the speaker, he's going to argue that wisdom, pleasure, work, and possessions are very often the bubbles that we live in to insulate ourselves from reality. He's like, we create these bubbles around us. And his needle, the sharp point that he uses to burst the bubbles, is death. It's the great reality facing all human beings as they go about their business on earth. Death is the one ultimate certainty that we erase from our minds and we, that we erase from our minds and busy ourselves to avoid facing. We don't like to think about it. We don't like to talk about it. Uh, but I mentioned last week, right, that understanding that we're going to die is the first step in really living. It, it, understanding that our lives are brief, but we were built for eternity. That's really when we start to find true meaning. And so we look for, we long for is happiness, and we look for it in all different aspects of life, our work, our families, our hobbies. We want to be happy. We want to be happy, right? Uh, we plan and dream about the perfect life, about the perfect spouse, about the perfect job. And then why do most people quit their jobs or leave their marriage because they're not happy? I deserve to be happy. That, that's like the American mantra, right? You deserve it. You've earned it. You, you, you need to be happy. Do what is best for you. That, that's what the world keeps telling us. Is that true? Is that really where true meaning lies. Solomon, he was just like us. He had the same questions as us. 
He set out to explore everything life had to offer, and he just kept coming back. Life is meaningless until he gets to the end of the book. So I told you this whole series, it's going to take a while to kind of reach the conclusion. So, so don't bail out on me. He, he's saying here life is brief. It's like a mist. It's like a vapor. I, I, we don't really understand sometimes why things happen. And so I'm going to start out this morning with a statement. I'm, I want to st- get us to, to, to understand this before we really jump into the rest of the text. And here's the statement I want to share with you this morning. It's simply this. Pleasure is not your purpose. Pleasure is not your purpose in life. Now, intellectually, you, you would probably agree with me. Yeah, that's not. But most of us live that way. Most of us really live like pleasure is what I'm going to find my meaning in. It's what I'm going to find my significance in. Matt Chandler points out that all of us subscribe to the philosophy that what will ultimately satisfy us is more of what we already have. For for most of us, there's a time in our life where we like beg God like... uh, for things that we have now, and now that we have them, we just take them for granted. We, we beg God, God, if I just had this, then I would be fulfilled. I, I would be satisfied. I would be happy. Then we get it, and then we're like, but God, I just need a little bit more. A better job, a better house, a nicer car, whatever it is, right? We keep striving for more, more of what we already have. You think to yourself, for me to be happy, I need just whatever it is, fill in the blank. Whatever it is. A new iPhone, a new car, a new house, a promotion, a new relationship. On and on. Our entire lives, we are striving for what we don't have. And it's not just, I mean, this is the, again, this is almost like we've been sold this as the American dream. You'll be happy if you can achieve more. And, and so... I would say this, right? Most Americans today experience more pleasure than most people in the history of the world. We, we, experience, ple- we experience more than, than, than any other people in the history of the world in any time period. We have more pleasure, and yet people are still unhappy. They're still unsatisfied. They're still discontent. They're still depressed. They're still worried. They're still like, I just wish I had more. This is, again, this is why I said, man, Ecclesiastes, it makes us think. It makes us really think differently. We look at um, celebrities and athletes, and we look at them, and, man, they have it all. They've got fame. They have money. They have huge houses. They have stuff. We think, man, if I could just trade places with them. But when you look at them, you see that their lives are a wreck. You, you, you see that they're still searching for meaning just like us. There's really nothing different. And what Solomon does, he exposes, he exposes the American dream. He exposes that success is not all that it's cut up to be. So we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 today. If you've got your Bibles, we'll stick here really uh, the whole sermon. Um, but let's kind of open up just verse 1 and 2 of Ecclesiastes 2. Uh, this is what Solomon said. He said, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. This is his, his experiment. I'm, I'm going to try to find meaning in, in my pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was 
Hevel, meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What God does it do to seek pleasure? He gets to the point like, can't even laugh about it. This is his experiment. Let's try some things. I want to find purpose. I'm going to do it by seeking pleasure, by laughing, by partying, by by giving in to every desire. And almost immediately, what does he tell us? He tells us this new experiment fails. Pleasure didn't satisfy his soul any more than his search for wisdom did that we talked about last week. So Warren Wearsby said this. He says, while there's nothing wrong with innocent fun, the person who builds his or her life only on seeking pleasure is bound to be disappointed in the end. Why? For one thing, pleasure-seeking usually becomes a selfish endeavor. And selfishness destroys true joy. People who live for pleasure often exploit others to get what they want, and they end up with broken relationships as well as empty hearts. People are more important than things and thrills. Let me read that again. People are more important than things and thrills. We are to be channels, not reservoirs. The greatest joy comes from when we share God's pleasure with others. Again, today's world, we're pleasure crazy. Millions of people will pay almost any amount of money to buy experiences and temporarily escape the burdens of life. Think about this, from exotic vacations to crazy expensive concerts to sporting events, from trying to be an influencer, entertainment industry. It's multiple billion dollar industry that we're talking about here, right? TikTok and Instagram now for our kids are full of travel bloggers and influencers and and people that are sharing their experiences and and, and we're living vicariously through them and and, and they're saying this is what, if you could do this, if you could travel the world and if you could live in your van and travel all these exotic places, this is the life. What are they doing? They're sharing that this is how you find happiness. This is how you find joy. And again, those things aren't necessarily bad. They're not necessarily bad. But the problem is when that becomes the goal of our pursuit. The goal, because if we strive, if we think we need those things to be fulfilled, we get those things, what do we find out? It's empty. It's meaningless. That's exactly what Solomon was going through. All right. Solomon's attitude is like the guy in the Tim McGraw song. Right? I... I, I, I I'm sorry, but he like he finds out he gets a bad diagnosis, and what does he do? He goes skydiving. He goes Rocky Mountain climbing. He went 2.7 seconds on a bull named. Y'all are good. Y'all are more redneck than I thought. Just making sure you're awake, right? But that's in that like that's the that's like the way we live. That's what we seek, man. We, man, if I can do that, man, that, then I'll be happy. So where does Solomon try to find pleasure? He talks about, hey, I tried laughing. That didn't even work. He tries, he tries to find pleasure in drinking. Verse 3, uh, he said, After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine, and while, I was seeking, while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. And this way I tried to experience the only happiness that most people find during their brief life in this world. He tried to use wine to escape his troubles. And what did he find? It left him meaningless, right? Solomon even said in Proverbs that wine is a mocker and strong drink causes you to brawl and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. He knows the danger. 
All right, he knows the danger, and the Bible is clear that getting drunk is a sin. I mean, we could debate all the, the alcohol, but I mean, what we see here is Solomon is trying to find meaning and purpose in life in alcohol, and it left him empty. It left him empty. All right, and so we see that. He just says, this, that didn't work. So what else did he do? He tried to find pleasure in his success. Well, drinking didn't cut it. Laughing didn't cut it. What else? Let's try my success, my my, my goal setting, my aspirations in life. Let's see how much power and prestige I can attain. Verse 4, he said, I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, and, and others were born into my household. I, I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold and the treasures of many kings and provinces. Solomon was like rich enough to try everything. He, he, was rich. He, he built beautiful homes where he planted magnificent gardens. He spent more than a decade building a magnificent palace. He was skilled in producing wine. He was skilled in producing uh, flowers and fruit trees. And he had all these irrigation things that, that filled. I mean, he, and he even mentions he had homes and vineyards and gardens and parks. And everything's plural. It's not like he just built one. He had so much money. He could build as much as he wants. Literally what Solomon was doing, he was trying to recreate the Garden of Eden. The wording here actually reflects back to Genesis, right? And, and so the, every kind of fruit tree that he had, that's the same language used in Genesis in the Garden of Eden. He's literally trying to recreate the Garden of Eden there in Jerusalem. That was his experiment. If I do all this, then I'll be happy. And you see Solomon had so many servants. This, we read in 1 Kings that his chefs, right, just to feed his workers and his staff, uh, prepared 10 oxen, 20 cattle, 100 sheep, deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fowl every single day. That's how, that's how many people he had working for him. I mean... And so what we see, we sometimes struggle to find our meaning. We throw ourselves into work and our achievements and think, if I can just get this promotion, if I can just make a little more money at my job, right, then I'm going to be happy. If I, can just, if I can just quit renting and buy a house, then I'm going to be happy. If I can just have a bigger house, then I'm going to be happy. I just need an extra bathroom because you know how hard it is to, for all the kids to get ready in the mornings, right? I mean, that's like our mind. We're always just thinking if we had just a... Right? That's this danger of putting success out in front of us. Then he, goes, he keeps going. He's like, what about pleasure and satisfying every desire? Verse 8, I hired wonderful singers, both men and women. They had... I had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. Um, he had a lot of money. Some of it was from taxing his own people. Some were from gifts from other kings. He used that money for musicians, for beautiful music. We have, you know, he, he, he just, he used that to have all of this entertainment. But he also did a lot of immoral stuff. 300 wives, 700 concubines. We mentioned that last week. 
a thousand sexual partners, and yet he's still like, I'm not satisfied. I mean, this is like, to me, I mean, this just shows us he had everything that we think we want, and yet he was empty inside. He had it all as the world thinks, and it was nothing to him. Because he's looking for purpose, he's looking for meaning in the wrong thing. David Gibson said in his book, endless enjoyment does not come in the box with your iPhone. If it did, why are you still considering the upgrade? Enjoyment is not automatically part of sex. It is not on the key ring to your dream house. It doesn't ride with you in the passenger seat in your new car. We all know what it is like to have tasted the best that life has to offer and still to be left wondering what comes next. The preacher tells us that God has to give us enjoyment or the thing itself, the phone, the sex, the house, the car. It's going to leave us unsatisfied. And the way God gives us enjoyment is in his gifts, uh, is by giving us perspective on ourselves. And that kind of leads me to my next point. We're never satisfied, right? Even when we receive everything we think we want. This is the struggle that we face in life. We think we need this. We think we want this. And, and so what Solomon was doing, instead of allowing God to make him great, he was making himself great. Same trap we fall into. Verse 9, he says, So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There's really nothing worthwhile anymore. He, he says here, literally, at least he's honest, at least he admits it. He says, I denied myself no pleasure. In other words, anything he wanted, he did. This is like a great experiment for us, right? He's just saying, I, I had the most success, the best houses, the most possessions, all this stuff, the finest wine, the biggest parties, the, the greenest grass, the most servants, the most money. I had all of this, and it's nothing. It led to nothing but brokenness. So what happens to people who pursue any and every pleasure as their main passion in life? I think we know the answer already, right? We, I would say this, we have as many opportunities as Solomon had to indulge in sinful and selfish desires. I would say, and you're going to think I'm crazy here, but listen to me. I think Solomon would envy us in our world today. I think we have more opportunities for pleasure than even he did. Let that sink in a minute. We live in better homes. We have better furniture. We have climate control, have hot showers. We have cable TV or satellite TV or whatever. Most of you have some streaming TV now. We've got anything you want to watch. He had a thousand con you know, wives and concubines. We've got the internet. <laughs> I'm just telling you. You, it's what we have today. It's amazing, right? It far exceeds anything Solomon had at his disposal. And we, and I mean, if we're not careful, we allow that to, to feed our lustful desires. This is, this is dangerous 
So let me ask you, are we satisfied or do we still want more? 1 John says this, Do not love the world nor the things it offers you, for when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. And this world, this world is fading away along with everything that people crave, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. There is nothing wrong with fun. There's nothing wrong with enjoying what God has created. The problem is that when that becomes what we pursue, when that becomes our purpose, the truth is the more that we have, the unhappier we become because we know that we will never be able to get all the things that we really want. Contentment is such an important part of our Christian walk. Being content in who we are and what we have and who God has created us to be. That is so important. If we want to learn to be strong in our faith, we have got to learn how to be content. That's why Paul, right, and, and, and the whole book of Philippians is about contentment. It's about joy. It's about even though he was in prison, he's saying, I've learned how to be happy when I have a lot or when I have nothing. I've learned that's the secret to contentment because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That, that's what Paul says, right? That's the same attitude that we have. Solomon is warning us that when we indulge in whatever feels good, it's dangerous. It may feel good in the moment, but that's not true purpose. And that leads me to my last point. God is the only one who can really meet our deepest needs. If you keep going in this chapter, verses 12 through 23, I'll summarize it for you. We won't, we won't read them. Verses 12 through 23 just says, you can't take it with you when you die. Anything you accumulate, you're not taking it with you, right? You can spend your whole life gathering a collection, building a business, making a home, amassing a fortune, but you can't take it with you. Eventually, your stuff is going to be sold. <laughs> it's going to be given away. Someone else is going to have control over it. The things that you spent your whole life working so hard to attain... Someone else is going to have it. That's just the reality of life. You've heard the old saying, you, you never see a hearse with a U-Haul. I mean, or a hearse with a trailer hitch. I mean, you don't see that. Right? I mean, you aren't taking it with you. And if that's where your whole goal in life is just, I want more, then you're, you're missing out. Philip Ryken says this, our purpose is not in our possessions. This is one of the great frustrations of human existence. We are born with a deep longing to have something, to make something or do something that will last. Yet under the sun, the, the under the sun reality is that we will spend our whole lives working to gain something we can never keep. First Timothy 6 says, after all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world and we can't take nothing. We can't take anything with us when we leave it. That's just the truth, right? And so... Solomon, he gets to the end of this whole experiment in, in chapter 2, and he gets to verse 24 uh, through 26 here. And all of a sudden, he's not been mentioning God through all this. All of a sudden, he starts bringing God into it. And this is what he said. He said, so I decided there's nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. Then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God. For who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who please him. 
But if a sinner becomes wealthy, God takes the wealth away and gives it to those who please him. This too is meaningless like chasing after the wind. So now Solomon concludes there's nothing better than to eat, drink, and find enjoyment in work. These are, this is kind of the first of what's known as the carpe diem, right? Uh, the, the seize the day passages. And, and Solomon says this over and over again. Enjoy life. Enjoy your wife. Eat, drink, work, be happy. This is God's gift to man. That's not where we find our purpose. That's not where we find our meaning. That's not where we find our satisfaction. Those are only in God. And it's when we understand that that's our purpose in life is following God, then we can start enjoying the things in life for what they really are, gifts from God. They're not there to satisfy us. They're not there to bring meaning to us. They're there as a gift from God. Um, yesterday, I uh, was honored to, to officiate a funeral for, for a relative of mine over in Sparta. And uh, she was 86 and had suffered from dementia for, for a number of years. And every person that talked about her said the same thing. She was content. She was happy. She was a joy. She was gracious. All right. And, and I just, that, man, I, I was thinking about that yesterday, right? Even in her sickness, she was gracious. She was joyful. There's so much we can learn from that. We're, we're, we're so... And I'm speaking to myself too, right? It's so easy to be dissatisfied. It's so easy to whine and complain and, and want more and be jealous of what other people have and be envious. And, and I, if I only I had, then God is the place where we find our true meaning. Martin Luther said the end of Ecclesiastes 2, he said it's a remarkable passage, one that explains everything preceding and following it. It is the principal conclusion, Luther said, and the fact it's the point of the whole book. That, I mean, that's what Martin Luther said. This is just this idea of God is where we find our contentment. And, and so he's not giving in to despair here. What he is, he's starting to see when we put God at the center, that's when our life starts to make sense. That's when it, things start to fall together. Without that, it's meaningless. Without that, it's just a vapor. Without that, it's vanity of vanities, right? And so we are dependent upon God whether we realize it or not. And so, I don't know. Here's what I want to close with. Solomon's life, in so many ways, it reminds us of the prodigal son in Luke 15. In Luke 15, we read the story of the prodigal son who took his father's inheritance. He ran off to the faraway land to enjoy partying, the partying lifestyle, right? The wine, the women. And eventually he found that completely meaningless, just like Solomon. He got to the point where he was eating the food for the pigs. I mean, how degrading could that be for a Jewish person? And he decided he would go home to be a servant in his father's household. So often we think about this story as all about him leaving his partying days behind, right? I mean, that's what, I mean, that's, that's what got him into trouble. But what happens when he gets home? What's the first thing that happens? His dad throws him a what? A party. You thought about that? It just, again... The problem is not the pleasure. The problem is when that becomes our meaning. The problem is when that becomes immoral. The problem is when that 
takes us to a sinful place. But God wants us to have joy. God wants us to enjoy the things of this world. God is not out to steal every amount of joy from your life. I think some people think that, that God wants us to be miserable and we should walk around all day with a frown on our face hating ourselves and hating life. I'm telling you, that's not the God we serve. We serve a God who wants us to enjoy life, but find our meaning in Him. And when we do that, that's when we can start enjoying the things of this world as for what they are, a gift from Him. And so today, I just want to challenge you a little bit. That's the gospel of Jesus. If we are satisfied in Christ and His love, we can now enjoy life. We can now enjoy our marriage. We can now enjoy our children. We can now enjoy all these pursuits of life. C.S. Lewis says, Our problem is not that we desire too much, it's that we desire too little. Right? We need to learn to be satisfied in Jesus. And today, I want to just say, if you don't know Jesus, this is your opportunity to know him and to find joy and to find meaning and purpose and satisfaction in him. I'm going to pray. The praise team is going to come back up and we're going to close. Let's, let's pray, guys. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today for Ecclesiastes, a book that makes us think, a book that stretches us, a book that says it's okay to ask hard questions in life. And today, Lord, as we've talked about pleasure, May we take our eyes off the things that we think will bring us satisfaction, the created things, and we, may we put our eyes on the creator God, Jesus, the sinner, the, the, the author, the, the, the perfecter of our faith. Lord, I pray that today for those listening online, those here in this place, that they would realize that the world offers us all of this stuff that we think will bring us joy, but in fact it's all empty and it's all meaningless. What we really need is Jesus, to turn our eyes on Jesus, to, 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 to set our eyes on him, to, to make him the center of our faith. Lord, we thank you for that. Your word tells us if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God, you raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. And we're so thankful for that promise. Today, Lord, uh, we just lift up the name of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.